hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 96, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? Oh, I'm doing okay, Brennan. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. <laughs> Looking forward to stories of invisible footsteps, the second sight, and yet another burning specter. Oh, Yes, uh, but before we get to all that, you have discovered something far more frightening than ghosts. I have. I have, yeah. A large group of 50, 50 plus uh, teenagers coming at you with weaponry towards a large fight, and you're between them and the fight. So now tell me how it is you came to wander into the set of the Warriors. Because <laughs> I'm lucky. Um, doing Ghost Walks Downtown, which of course I am doing full on, you know, open throttle. We went downtown on Saturday night, and apparently that is the customary time for the youth to go downtown and consume large quantities of cheap cider. We were going past a group. There were two groups out of two cars up on an upper parking lot beside a bridge, and I could hear angry words being exchanged, and I tried to get my group of 10 people to, you know, move along. Just ignore it. Not a problem. Don't get involved. I mean, I work at the police department, so that's rule one is you know, you don't get involved because you're going to get hurt. But um, a few members of the group decided that they were more invested in making sure everything worked out with this fight. And so then when the group actually started getting physical, they ran into the middle of it. At which so, point... Sorry, the, guy, the people from the ghost tour decided yes. they were going to... Okay, yes, all right. Yes, and at which point um, someone must have texted someone because then another 30 teenagers came running up the ramp from under the bridge around us. The remain, oh, remaining of us of the group. Yeah. You ever see Lion King and, you know, the wildebeest come and, and Simba's standing there and the wildebeest come up around him? That's how I felt. I was looking for a large stump to climb up on. So that was my, that was my weekend. And now I'm back at it Wednesday night and Thursday night and Saturday night and Sunday night. Well, hopefully none of them after this end in the final scene from The Outsiders. <laughs> Stay golden pony boy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I this hope. one's for Dally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping everything's just fine. I'm sure it will be. And uh, well, if not, I will tell comforting lies at your funeral. That's right. What a tale to tell. The bards will sing of this. Yeah. Exactly. We all loved him. Yeah. We all. Yeah. Thanks. He smelled great. Yeah. He was a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Brennan, uh, it's not common for people to wink during eulogies. <laughs> or use that many air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have a musical guest on tonight's show. It is, of course, getting close to Halloween. And as we learned from John Carpenter, on Halloween, everyone's entitled to One Good Scare. And this new track is exactly that. It is called One Good Scare. Oh, nice. Yes, it is the brand new release from Hexagram. And I am very excited to present it to everyone. So you'll be hearing that during the breaks, and you can find that everywhere you stream your music. All right, so we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll have stories from the Crystal and Bone House. Yeah. 
Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode we've got a whole range of stuff lined up for you. We've got stories about, actually a, a really fantastic story about Second Sight to finish on and a whole lot more. But before we get there, we wanted to share some follow-up that we got from a listener based on something that you were talking about on the previous episode. Yeah, we got a follow-up from Terry who says, Hello, long-time listener, first-time commenter. The talk in a recent episode about how certain houses and places seem to have a negative effect on an inhabitant's health really hit home for me. One of my aunts moved into a small house in eastern Texas back around 2005, and shortly after, she began to have problems with feeling seriously fatigued. Despite repeated visits to doctors, none of them could find anything wrong with her. After several months of this, she ended up going to the hospital after feeling very tired, and the doctors discovered that this time, she was low on blood. It was very perplexing to the doctors since they could not figure out where all of that blood went. Some transfusions and other treatments later, she left the hospital feeling much better, and she made arrangements to leave that house and move into an apartment across town. She never explained why she left that house, besides making vague talk about the house wasn't right for her, and otherwise being evasive. Interesting. Yes. And just for uh, for reference, the story that they're referring to from last episode is the one where you helped a fella who was having some real problems with his house. He, mm-hmm. he, he'd been living there for quite a while and it just seemed to make his life worse and worse the yeah. longer he was there. And it made the people who lived there before him very sick too. And now I think I saw some of the photos from this house. Okay. Uh, I believe they were posted somewhere. Yeah. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, that place looks goddamn awful. Right. There is a a real, I I can't explain it. It's just looking at the photos was unpleasant. Yeah. He'd given up like mentally. He'd just given up and, um, he's like, I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm never getting out of here. And then literally within two days of us talking and me kind of trying to get him to sort of turn it around spiritually. Right. Someone put in an offer and, uh, he may be out of there within four weeks. So he's pretty excited. Oh, oh. And I should say. He may be out of there in four weeks and the guy who's buying it isn't going to live there. He's knocking it down and he's putting in a whole new development. So, yeah. Oh, good. Well, he's maybe that's selling will... it to some other victim. <laughs> some other poor schmuck. Exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> funny enough, it's, it's a testament to how selfish I am that that didn't even occur to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm out of here, you assholes. I'll yeah. see you later. Not my problem now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, later, skater. <laughs> and uh, sort of in keeping with the theme, we've been talking a little bit this month and late last month about how things have been kind of ramping up for sort of going, getting towards the end of the month in terms mm-hmm. of uh, spiritual activity. Yep. And certainly there have been, I mean, you and I were just talking off air about w- weird dreams, especially this last week. Yeah. And trouble sleeping and all kinds of stuff. And I had a text a couple of days ago from a friend of mine who was visiting some family in Revelstoke. He had this to say, and I, I'm just going to read the message. So yesterday we hiked down a trail towards Begbie Falls. And as we were going through the woods, and sorry, I should explain, Begbie Falls is a waterfall south of Revelstoke, uh, going towards the area that is known as the Arrow Lakes. It's a really, even outside of this time of year, it's known for being weird. And certainly I, it's not a place I go past dark uh, by myself or often even with anyone. I usually just won't go that way past a certain time of night. Right. Uh, this, this is happening in the daytime, but I just thought I'd mention that. They say, as we were going through the woods, we kept seeing black things darting across the trail or in the brush beside the trail, usually out of the corner of the eye. As soon as I looked directly at it, it wasn't there. My partner saw them too, so that was fun. <laughs> and I know we've talked before on the show about the idea of gremlins. 
Yes. These yeah. little, little shadow people that's kind of seem to flit around foot level around like knee height sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know in, in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere fine books are sold, but you should buy the <laughs> audiobook because I make more on it. That's right. The audiobook available from Amazon, Audible, and ACX. <laughs> Oh my God. Great. There's more now. I got to sell these things again. <laughs> I've only moved half as many copies this month as we did last month. I got to get the pedal down. You will. You will. It's Halloween. They're going to go. Daddy has limes to buy. <laughs> limes. Yeah, lime. I've re- I'm really hooked on li- like putting limes in water. I've been doing this for months now. I eat so many limes, it's ridiculous. Real, you know, you can just buy lime juice. Yeah, it's not the same. Oh my god, you're nope. such a hipster. <laughs> what is it? Hipster to want vitamin C and pot- and potassium? Yeah, it's not 1700s Britain, and you're not a sailor. You're fine. Disagree. Eat a salad. How's that? Whoa, 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 whoa! What am I, a communist? <laughs> Eat a salad. If you hate me, you can just say you hate me. Yeah, that's right. I know we've got some vegan listeners out there shaking their heads thinking, yeah, well, I'll enjoy bad. this podcast for as long as I can before their hearts explode. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah. So uh, as I was mentioning in my, about my book, A Strange Little Place. Oh, God. Um, I have a whole chapter in there on gremlins. Okay. And there is one elder care facility in Revelstoke where these things have been seen and when they are seen, uh, there are often accompanying issues like burst pipes, faulty electrical. Oh no. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. So they, they're not necessarily, uh, mischievous, but they certainly can be. Right. And now on to the stories. Our first story comes from Jordan. I'm a house cleaner by trade, and this story is about one particular house where I'd been called to assist a co-worker. I called it the Crystal and Bone House. There was nothing noteworthy about the house from the outside, just a typical suburban light yellow cream-trimmed two-story house. But the moment I crossed the threshold, something felt amiss. I chalked it up to newbie nerves about entering strangers' houses. I settled in the kitchen on the main floor while my coworker cleaned upstairs. It was impossible to not notice the vast amounts of crystals in varying shapes and sizes everywhere in this house, along with animal bones. But this is a job, and no matter how strange someone's interior decorating preference is, the show must go on. As I worked the kitchen, I got to an upper cabinet whose door was wide open. I didn't recall this being open when I entered, but shrugged it off, closed it, and cleaned it. I continued a bit further, and when I looked back, it was wide open again. This time I examined the hinges to see if it is a matter of being not quite level. Often that's the case, and it takes just a small nudge upwards to get it to stay shut, but this one was perfectly fine. I closed it and tried to open it by banging on the nearby cabinet, blowing on it, etc. Nothing. Still, I kept a sharp eye on it. That's when I noticed a lower cabinet had opened that had not been earlier. Had it been open... I would have tripped over it. So I ran it through the same tests with the same result. Now I was just getting annoyed. So I closed it and continued to work until sure enough, that darn upper cabinet swung open like something getting inside. Not a creep open, no, a swing open. When it comes to my fight or flight, I'm definitely a grind my heels into the ground and fight person. So I spun around towards the corner of the kitchen where I can sense the disturbance coming from and told it to get out and leave me alone so I can clean. Footsteps pitter-pattered out of the kitchen and up the stairs. Oops. 
The activity subsided, and I got that kitchen spotless while those cabinets stayed closed. Later, I was joined in the living room by my co-worker who says she heard the footsteps, assuming they're the same ones I heard, disappear into a bedroom she'd already cleaned. Turns out, there's a seance closet in that particular room. We laughed about it, and then hustled our butts to get out of there, never to return again. So I'm just imagining kind of an alternate world where everyone knows ghosts exist, and we just chase them out like vermin. You know, they're like owls in Futurama. You're just hitting them with brooms. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. You, spray, you have a spray bottle of holy water or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no. Bad ghost. <laughs> I got things to do. Go on now. <laughs> That's perfection. You know, I very briefly spent time as janitor, and I got to tell you, that is bad work. I mean, it's it's a hard job, but it's just cleaning up after other people sucks. <laughs> it is a lot of work, and I have a lot of respect for people who do that. I'm in, I'm actually, I'm going to tell a story. I don't. I've never told this on the show before. I don't even know if I've told you this story, and I'm not going to tell the whole story because it's gross. But there was this guy who worked late in the office that I used to clean. Right, and he was a nice enough guy. He was their IT guy, but he was a little bit strange. And most of the time he was pretty chill and, and we got along reasonably well. You know, he, uh, he liked really obscure, crappy old movies before mm-hmm. that was kind of a thing. And, and right. so he always had some bizarro movie that he'd found, you know, there was one about like robo vampires or something. Naturally. Of course. Yeah. But then one day or one night rather, cause I always had to clean at night. I was in there and he said, oh, come here. I, I got to show you something. And it was pornography. Of course it was. I was going to say that. Oh man. And it was not pleasant. I mean, having that sprung on you is never pleasant. No. Obviously I'm not a prude. I I, I don't mind pornography, but this was not welcome. Right. And then he hit play and he was kind of providing a commentary on it. Oh no. It may have been one of the most awkward social situations of my life. And coming from me, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. I'll say. Oh man. The image is forever burned into my brain. And, and just the way he described it, like he was Harry Carey describing a home run at Wrigley Field. It was horrifying. Huh. So that's, that's my I'm, contribution for today. Thank you for that lovely story. That was great. <laughs> I feel safe here in group. <laughs> thank you for that story, Jordan. I apologize for associating it with uh, that terrible memory of mine. <laughs> this story comes from Daikiri. I've been gathering the guts to finally write the things that have happened to me throughout the years, and honestly, it scares the crap out of me. I'm not sure why. But here I go. The first thing I remember happening to me was that I experienced my own personal earthquake. Now let's take you back to mid-2000. I was 10-11 years old, living in Cartagena, Colombia in my grandparents' huge creepy home. One day I was laying in one of the bedrooms, watching cartoons, when all of a sudden I felt this rumble. The bed was shaking, and the noise was that of what I imagined the earth makes. A loud, vibrating noise that grew louder until it filled the entire room. I've never been in an earthquake, but I figured that's something like that. Yeah, it it is. (laughs) Not a happy memory. Even though my first thought was an earthquake, it didn't snap me to react until the lamp on the nightstand that was in between the twin beds almost fell on top of me. That's when I was like, oh hell no, I got to go. As I got up, everything really was shaking. The floors, the walls, everything. As I tried to get to the door, which was hard to do because of how bad the floor shook, the TV on its stand near the door started to come slowly towards me, almost tipping on me. I remember it like it was in slow motion. 
I pushed this huge big butt 90s TV back and finally made it through the threshold of the door and down the stairs. At the bottom of the steps was my grandma, stepmom, and the lady that helped around the house, talking as if nothing was happening. I started to grab my grandma's arm and pull her to get out of the house. I was crying, Terremoto, Terremoto, Earthquake, Earthquake. And that's when all three ladies grabbed me and tried to calm me down, saying that there was no earthquake. They told me to sit and calm down, but how? How could I do that? They gave me sugar water to calm my nerves, and I accepted it, but with a condition that they turned the news on. Nothing. No breaking news. Nada. I then told them about the lamp and TV and everything I had experienced. My grandma came upstairs with me to check the room, and the only thing that stayed fallen over was the lamp. No one believed me. Not even my dad when he got home. And yes, my parents were together up until my mom passed, and I already had a stepmom a few months after. They say that kids tend to make stuff up to seek attention, but I would never ever make something like this up. It felt too real, and I was scared for my life. Could it have all been in my head? I'm not sure, since now it feels like a dream, being that it happened 21 years ago. I've been listening to the podcast and others, searching honestly for someone who has had something like this happen to them. I don't want to be the only one, but am I? I don't think my mom would do something like that. Yet my entire family has had many weird things happen to them in that house, from seeing hairless people walking into walls, and hearing cackled laughter from empty bedrooms, to much more. I'll try to get as many stories for you guys in the next email, but this one was my first, and sadly not last, experience there. Thanks for the podcast and the energy you guys have. Wow. Yeah, so thanks for sending that, Daikiri. And Mm -hmm. uh, I know I have actually experienced something similar to this. An actual earthquake or a ghost earthquake? Both. Okay. So, yeah, the, the actual earthquake, that, that was a whole other beast. And I'm not real keen to relive that experience. Uh, but, no, I, the first time this ever happened to me, I was in Tofino in 2003. I was there with my girlfriend at the time. And we had a room on the water. Right. And I'd, I'd never been to the island before. Right. Oh, bless. <laughs> yeah. Which is why you went to Tofino, because you didn't know any better. Exactly. You get it. <laughs> So I'm sitting on the bed in the motel room, just looking out over the water. And all of a sudden I felt the bed shake and I th- it felt like the room was shaking. Like there was an earthquake, but the person I was with didn't feel anything. Yeah. That's pretty wild. And, and I've had that happen again here. Like I've woken up to feel like the bed is shaking, mm-hmm. but then it's not. And again, I'm the only one who notices. Then it stops. And there was actually one time I was sitting with Nick in the living room and that happened. And I said, Jesus, I think, it, are we having an earthquake? And she again, felt nothing. Weird, eh? Yeah. I, I don't, I honestly have no idea what the hell it is. Like, hmm. of course, because I'm, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac back in the day, you know, I assumed, oh, I have brainitis. Right. Of course. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, my brain is stupid, but not that kind of stupid. And it's only ever happened maybe three or four times. Hmm. So you're not alone, Dikiri, but I'm afraid I don't have any more, any more information on it for you. If any of our listeners do though, Please let us know. Mm -hmm. Claire brings us our next story. My most terrifying experience was from a few years ago when I was at university. I'm from Long Island. Yes, I've seen the Amityville Horror House and no, it's not particularly interesting. Because Amityville was a scam. Well, yeah. What I really want to know is has she seen the Long Island Medium? Because that would be way scarier. And even more of a scam. (laughs) But I went to university in Edinburgh, Scotland, a city that has a very dark history and is considered to be one of the most haunted cities in Europe. And if I compare it to all the cities I've been to in Europe, I have to agree. Actually, I have to say it's on my bucket list for ghost walks. Oh, really? Edinburgh? Edinburgh. I want to go to Edinburgh. I want to go to Savannah, Georgia. 
and I want to do Halifax. Those are my, um, oh, and if Kingston was in there, that'd be cool too. Oh yeah. I almost got to go to Savannah. Oh, once. cool. Yeah. We, there's that big road trip we did in 2016, um, but we had, we had to cut it out for uh, budgetary reasons. Ah, got it. In my second year of university, I was living in a flat that I was convinced was haunted. Twice, I got a shadow figure walking across the hallway, and once the same figure was spotted by one of my flatmates who did not believe in ghosts whatsoever. It was also the flat I was living in when I first experienced sleep paralysis. Because it was my first time, I panicked when I woke but wasn't able to move. I was laying on my back, and my eyes moved from my ceiling down to the end of my bed, where an abnormally tall shadow figure stood watching me. As I really began to panic and made attempts to scream, he took the ends of my covers and began to slowly pull them off me. Jesus. I managed at this point to wake up, and it took me a while to calm myself enough to go back to sleep. More recently, however, I was dreaming that I was walking along the beach with my friend and her dog. Storm clouds were rolling in, and the waves were beginning to get larger and larger. I told my friend we better get going before the storm hit, and when she agreed... I suddenly heard a voice say very clearly as if someone spoke from right behind me, Hi, Claire. I woke up immediately, breathing as hard as if I'd woken up from a nightmare. But while the storm in the dream worried me enough that I thought my friend and I should leave, the dream wasn't stressful enough to be a stress dream and it certainly wasn't a nightmare. But when I rolled over onto my other side, I found myself lying face to face with someone next to me. I only had enough time to register that she was a young woman with brown hair and that she was smiling but not in a way that was particularly reassuring. Before I panicked and rolled back over towards my lamp to turn on the light, and I sat up and looked back at her, and she was gone. Despite the woman having a normal appearance and smiling, she gave me an awful feeling, and I was convinced at the time that it was her intention to terrify me. Well, that would terrify me. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I remember years ago, after a bender in Ireland, the guy I'd been drinking with sent me a text and said, uh, so I woke up with someone in my bed. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah, not the kind of surprise you want. And that wasn't even a ghost. Thankfully for him, he turned out she had just crawled in because she needed somewhere to crash and was also drunk. So I, oh, I guess that's. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, you know, I've had something similar happen. I remember years ago, I, w- I had a dream where I, I, yeah, it was, it was really odd. Nick was showing me her new apartment or she was renting a room from someone. Right. And we walked into one room and as she did, I felt someone come up behind me and wrap their arms around my, my, my chest. Like they, almost like they were giving me a hug. Oh, nice. Well, no, it, cause it, it wasn't a comforting thing. Oh. Yeah. I can't explain it, but all of a sudden, and I, I think I heard a woman's voice in one of my ears. Oh, that's weird. And as, as I started to wake up, I became aware of being in bed and, and I was laying with my arm around Nick, but there was someone, it felt like with their arms around me from behind. Hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, as I slowly became more awake, that feeling passed, but yeah, it it was a really, really unpleasant experience. Yikes. Yeah. No, not cool. It's funny. They talked about Edinburgh because I had friends from the police department take a trip over there and uh, one of the apartments they rented, they did sort of an Airbnb thing. Oh yeah. The one apartment was absolutely 100% haunted. Oh no. And all three of them, two of which are non-believers, all experienced things going on in that apartment in Edinburgh. So I'm not shocked. Only once have I rented an Airbnb that was haunted, but man, did it piss me off. I know. Right. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. No, because there's, <laughs> there's nothing on the comment card. Like, no. you know, 
level of haunting was you know zero stars <laughs> or i i'm calling it the airbnb haunting clause so i want my money back non-physical entities wandered through the living room while i was watching uh, triple frontier on netflix <laughs> it was bad enough my buddy ian was able to to see it from a photograph i would like you to refund some of my money <laughs> yeah good luck with that one airbnb get on it <laughs> This listener asked to remain anonymous. They wanted us to refer to them as Knight's Plutonian Shore. When I was growing up, my childhood was tumultuous at best. I have memories of playing with a small boy who lived next door, but apparently there was no boy living next door. I have distinct memories of playing with him in my room with his toys. Never mind, so he must have been there. This was located in a squamalt, and according to my father, he had photos of me and a ghostly apparition playing together, but they were lost in a fire. And just from, for the majority of our listeners, Esquimalt is a suburb. Would we say a suburb of Victoria or a separate municipality next to Victoria? Yeah, a suburb municipality, but realistically, part of the greater Victoria area, I guess. Yeah, okay. Fast forward to a few years later. My parents were divorced and I was left to care for myself, my younger siblings, and my mother. as She was unable to care for us much at this time. I was sitting in my room one night and saw a shadow cross my wall. The shadow looked like an old children cartoon of a robber. In shadow, I can see it sneaking around on tiptoe, the classic horizontal striped shirt, white slits in the eye mask, and holding a large bag. I remember feeling scared, but then it peeked its head around from my doorframe, and I felt relief and actually entertained. I watched as a total of four shadow men swirled, danced, and performed around my room. What I can only describe as a comedy Three Stooges act. My brother heard me laughing and came into my room, so all four shadows crept into my closet. My brother then informed me I had been laughing for hours, and bedtime was four hours ago. I did not realize how long I had been looking at the shadows for. I crawled into bed and watched the pale, glowing eyes of the shadows swirl on my ceiling, much like an animation of a galaxy, like the beginning credits of Sleeping Beauty. During a visitation with my father, I told him about my shadow people experience, and he was elated and so proud of me. From that point forward, he would let me stay up late and listen to Coast to Coast with him, and we could converse about any subject. For years, the shadow people would be my friends. Sometimes they would startle me, but mostly in a joking way, or they would dance and sway and wait for me to sleep. The sleep was important because although I do not suffer from sleep paralysis, I do have night terrors due to PTSD. Watching the shadow people on my ceiling was the only thing that would help me sleep. Once I hit high school, I had gotten my first boyfriend who was incredibly abusive. At one point, he was holding me captive in his old house, and the shadow people were there with me keeping me company. I remember crying and feeling cold hands wiping my face. One disappeared for a long time, what I would say would be an hour or so. I was sitting in a dark garage with myself and the three shadows. Later that night, my friends showed up to this random house, kicked in the door, and rescued me. I don't know if the shadow had anything to do with it, but to this day I will always credit them for that. The aforementioned boyfriend and his best friend are now infamous for a local murder. I was not allowed inside during the trial and verdict, but rather was parked outside the local courthouse. There is a large cathedral by the courthouse with a very old cemetery beside it. I looked up and saw four shadows waving to me. I felt this unexplained feeling of grief. My eyes filled with tears as they waved goodbye and slipped behind a large tree in the cemetery. That was the last time I had seen them. I wholeheartedly believe these shadows were watching out for me during my hardest years. Once I was deemed not to be in danger, they left. I am now into the paranormal and try to learn as much as I can about shadow people. I have never been able to find my shadow friends again, and honestly, I feel like I need them so badly now that I'm 27 years old. 
All the spells I can conjure will not bring them back, and I feel an incredible sense of loss. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to hear of a story where the shadow people are actually helping rather than scaring. That's refreshing. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, we don't we don't get that very often. Almost, in fact, I don't know if we... No, that's not true. We, we have had it in the past, but not yeah, often. Yeah, but it's nice to hear. It is nice to hear. And I wonder, though, about, you know, them going away. I, I think, you know, in the, in the email that you sent back to this person a long time, because this, this story came in a little while ago. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you thought this was a kind of case where they came when they were needed and, and right. they sort of then moved on. Yeah. And that's just kind of how sometimes these things work. And in a way, it's like people. Yep. You know, people come into our lives for a period and, and oftentimes they bring us a lesson or, uh, you know, we, we learn something from that interaction. And then they move on and, you know, no matter how bad we want them back, it can't work that way. No, no, no. So, They're here for time and that's it. Yeah. Thanks again for sharing. Our next story is from Michelle. I'm from Edmonton now. Oh, that's too bad. But born and raised mostly in Calgary. Oh, thank God. I think I saw Ian's band play at a youth group outing while in high school. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> My friends and I stole yard ornaments and put them in another yard. It's what a rebel I thought I was. Yeah, I had that same experience. There's really not a lot to do in Calgary. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I think we, I just, I, I feel like we just passed over the fact this person just randomly happened to see you performing. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. I, I think our listeners sometimes forget that you had this whole <laughs> like Christian band leader life. Well, before. I wasn't the leader. I was just a backup singer. I was still the, though. I was the youngest member of the band. We did perform a lot, like pretty much every weekend. We were in some small town or Edmonton or Calgary or Red Deer performing. Like it was pretty intense. And we made two. I made two albums with them. They had three albums. I was on two of them. I did see. I did not know that. I know you had Aware of Wonder, your Smash It Christian <laughs> Country album. That was my solo debut. <laughs> I did not realize that you had two other records you were on. You you, you had a whole. Behind the music had, before yeah, I even met yeah, you. I had a whole teen idol life, yeah. That thing you do was your life. Because <laughs> I was singing with them since I guess I was 18 until I went to Toronto at 20. And then I recorded my own album at 22. So, yeah. Christian just, country phenom. Ian yeah, Gibbs. right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, I wrote one of the songs on one of the band's albums. That felt pretty cool for me. Oh, what, what was it called? I don't even remember anymore. You Honestly, don't remember? I don't. I know I don't have the publishing rights to it. I gave them to the band lady. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> well, she had a publishing company and I didn't. Jumping Jesus Flash could be a huge moneymaker. And Jesus you just signed it all away. Oh my God. No, it's not called that. Anyways, I realize we've completely gone off from Michelle's story. Continue. I had been re-listening to all the episodes on speakers while at work. And the female voice replying to Ian was super clear and made me jump. The comfort of your voices as you laugh, joke, and go to each other is calming to me as ghost stories don't scare me. Now, with others starting to filter back into the office, I have to get used to earbuds again. But for a while, it was glorious. Boo. <laughs> I've always had strong instincts about people and places. And now in my 40s, we've started to listen to them more than ignore them. Good. My husband relies on my instincts, too. He asked me, what do you think? Rarely questions me if I change my mind about going out or planning a trip or when making major life decisions. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. If we would have used our intuition more in our 20s, maybe we would have figured out that I'm drawn to haunted places and avoided some of our previous homes. Now in our 40s, closer to 50, ugh, I hear you, Michelle, hard to believe, isn't it? We finally have a house that is fully calm with only occasional drive-by visits. We have two boys, now grown up and living on their own, the most active place we lived was in Stetler. Oh, 
I knew some people who lived in the haunted house in Stellar too. Really? That house was active. Looking back, it was not scary, but at the time, very upsetting. It was a tiny old house beside the railway tracks. We moved there when I was five months pregnant, and our other son had just turned three. To say we were under stress would be an understatement. I firmly believe that stress and mental well-being does play a part in our link to the other side. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Our first night there, I was woken up to the sound of cats running around the living room in boxes. You could hear them jumping off the couch and the walls, and they were having a great time. Our son said he saw a black cat jumping out of our bedroom window, a window that was shut, nailed, and painted over. So we stopped looking for an answer and just went on still hearing the cat noises at night. About a month into living there, it was a full moon, and the kitchen was bright with moonlight when I saw a small boy in the kitchen just staring into our room. I tried to coax him to come to bed with us, but he would not come to me. I thought it was odd how the moonlight made our son's dark brown hair look bright blonde, but I was tired and thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. When I woke my husband to go check on him, the boy was sound asleep in bed. We decided to ignore it all and go back to bed ourselves. There were other times we heard toys being played with when our son was not at home, and we just ignored that too. We rarely used the basement. I hated it, really. The lights were bulbs with strings, and you had to pull them to turn them on and off, which would happen with a loud click. Letting the darkness chase you up the stairs out of the basement as you clicked the light off was the stuff of nightmares. When we would leave the house at night, all lights were off. But when we got home, the basement was usually lit up. It was always my husband's job to go and turn them off. Always. The washer and dryer down there would turn on randomly at all times of the day or night. We had the wiring, electrical panel, and machines checked, yet nothing seemed wrong. One day I had to do some laundry and so I went down only to see a man in overalls and a plaid shirt in front of the washer looking perplexed. I only saw his back and I do not know if I saw him with my actual eyes or in my mind's eye, but he was so clear I could draw a picture of him. Now looking back, I feel no fear of that house. It saddens me thinking of a small boy possibly looking for his parents, playing with toys, a farmer trying to do laundry for a stressed out young mother who is in way over her head at 22 years old turning the lights on so you don't have to come home to a dark house. Misguided, but kind of nice. Even the cats, fun and adventurous. No harm came to us and maybe saved my youngest from harm a few times as well. When we moved, it was rented to a couple of kids, probably our age, but kids to us, as they were the type to have parties and had no kids of their own. My husband heard through the friends that they had a horrible time there. Makeup and hairbrushes tossed about the house lights going on and off, and even supposedly knives and a mattress one night. I do not know what for sure happened after we left, but we joked that the spirits missed having a family and avenged us. I was one of those insufferable jackasses who was 22 and didn't have a kid and was just partying all the time. Yeah, and living in a giant apartment, yeah. By 22, I was living in a house. Oh, aren't we the grown-up? I was, and now (laughs) I live in an apartment, and I will probably die in one. (laughs) Thanks for sending that, Michelle. And you mentioned that you knew some other people from Olds. Or sorry, from, uh, from Stetler. Stetler, yeah. Yeah, I did. And, and they had a big old house that was haunted too. I think there's more going on in Stetler than people realize. Um, I would love to find out more about Stetler's history, actually, because it's one of those places that kind of sticks out in your mind. Um, right. There's tons of small Alberta towns, but Stetler and also Drumheller. Drumheller has some very weird vibes. This next story comes from Leslie who is from the Legends in the Dark podcast. Leslie says, 
In my podcast, I mentioned I was nervous to contact you too much because I didn't want to feel like John Favreau in Swingers when he calls so much then gets told, don't call me again by the woman he just met. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. As long as you don't expect me to get back to you in a timely fashion, it's, it's all good. As people who message us regularly know, I'm really bad at that. But I wanted to really say thank you to you guys, of course, but to one of your listeners from episode 81, Kim, who shared a story about seeing an entity that she described not as a shadow person, but a man on fire. When I was a kid around the same time frame, 25 or so years ago, my brother and I saw the same thing. One summer night, we were camping out in the living room when I woke up and looked out the big window and saw this humanoid figure peek around the three-foot fence dividing our yard from the neighbor's. I wear glasses and have terrible eyesight, so to me this being glowed and I couldn't see its features well. But it saw me and got closer, walking through the yard towards the window. At the time, the house had a big cactus in front of the window to deter people coming to peek in, but I remember this thing coming right up to the glass, maneuvering around the big plant, staring at me on the fold-out bed. I hid under my covers, closing my eyes tightly, and then poof, it was morning. I thought I had dreamed it until my brother, a year younger than me, told my mom of the man on fire outside. He can see great distances and went on to describe the being as glowing, like he was being burned. A man on fire. My mother called my dad, not because she believed us, but because at the time in our small town there was a peeping Tom. She thought we saw this man and that we must have seen a flashlight. Remember peeping Toms? Yes. <laughs> I, and before we had the internet? Yeah, I, I feel like that's not as much of a thing now, but then maybe I, I don't know. Um, there are fewer people at the conventions at least. Yeah. <laughs> we do have problems with them still, but yeah, no, not as often. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe if that was all that had happened, we as adults would write it off. But a year from that day, another summer night, we were visiting family in Missouri. My brother and I shared the den with two camping beds. I slept nearest the door and woke up to stillness. If you've ever been to Missouri in the summer, you'll know there are all sorts of bugs and creatures making noise. On this night, all of that completely stopped. I looked to the dark living room in the hallway next to it to see a glowing light coming closer. Then the same figure I saw a year earlier was there, creeping into the room, coming closer and closer, right to the end of the bed near my feet. Scared, I held my breath, closed my eyes, and hid under the covers. Poof. It was morning. Thinking about it the next day, my heart would not slow down. I thought I had dreamed it. I told my mom, who also thought it was a bad dream. But my brother heard me, and when my mom left the room, he told me he'd seen it too. The man on fire came into the room, and he watched as I hid under the covers. He said that this being came to the side of the bed, not looking at him, but leaned over me, watching. Then he said the being looked at him, and poof, it was morning. So to your listener, Kim, thank you. Thank you for making me feel a little less alone. So thank you, Leslie. And again, that was Leslie from the Legends in the Dark podcast. Thinking back, I think that's our third now, our third... Ghost on fire? Yeah, person made of smokeless fire. Cool. Which is, yeah. So again, if anyone else has stories, please let us know. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. It seems to be something that appears to people when they're younger. Yeah, yeah. And for what purpose? I don't know. No, that's, that's it. And, and I know we've talked before about this idea of the jinn, you know, this hierarchy of creatures who live on the other, say we'll call it the other side, mm -hmm. and who appear to us as though made of smokeless fire, according to legend. And I, you know, I really, really am fascinated by this concept. And I wonder if, if at some point we'll see something like that. 
the fact that we had none of those stories right and now we have three yeah that is pretty wild eh it's it's unusual i feel like that's the first that and the white hands are probably the only new things i think that we've really consistently had come to us on the show while i find the white hands interesting the person made of smokeless fire really really catches my attention so I'm kind of not hoping they come visit me, but <laughs> well, it may be too that people were hesitant to tell those stories because they don't fit traditional ghost story parameters. And so they're like, oh, no one will believe me anyway. Or, you know, so in a way, it's kind of cool that new stories are coming out because people are like, okay, so this happened and I don't know what it is, but this seems like a safe place to talk about it, you know? So that's, yep. that's actually really cool. It is really cool. Well, thanks again, Leslie. And again, that's Leslie from the Legends of the Dark podcast. First off, a little backstory. I was born with a call. Yeah, well, Brennan was born with a tail. Hasn't helped him any. You son of a bitch. <laughs> According to my very Irish great-grandmother, Newfoundland, that meant I had the sight. I could see beyond the veil. And while winning the lotto numbers have yet to make themselves known to me, I've seen some shit I can't explain. I'm a believer, but I look for a rational explanation before I say it's supernatural. My great-grandmother was a devout Irish Catholic, which of course means she had some very pagan superstitions. She fully believed in your little friends. She always showed great respect when talking about them and would let her kids go off in the woods in the Gould of St. John's with little packets of food so that they could leave them as offerings for the folk and not be bothered by them. Sounds like a smart lady. Some of the weirdest experiences I have had involved ravens. When I was a kid, say six or seven, I was sitting by the window and looking at this big, beautiful tree outside. I remember I turned to my mom and told her that Grandpa was going to die. She told me not to say such things. It was, it was awful. I told her I hadn't. That bird in the tree said it. She looked at me, then out the window, and saw nothing. She said, what bird? I pointed to the raven on the branch right in front of us, but she saw nothing. She told my father when he came home, who didn't admonish me, but instead said, don't dwell on it. It was his dad I said would die. Side note, dad had some weird gifts himself. He once went into a house, and when he got to the top of the landing, he turned to the house owner and asked who hung themselves. It was the owner's brother-in-law. My dad had no way of knowing that, and when he was completely obliterated by alcohol, he could read a person, tell them about things from their past that he had no possible way to find out. But back to the story. A week after my incident at the window, my grandfather passed away suddenly. He was in decent shape, but had a weak heart. I didn't know that. Another time, I was sat at the same window when I told my mother she had to watch out for her younger sister. She was going to be very sick. My mom asked me if the bird told me again. I pointed out the window at the bird. She looked and just nodded. A week later, her sister nearly died from an allergic reaction to some peanut oil in Chinese food she ate. After that, I found out what a peanut allergy was. When I was about 11, we lived in a mansion that had been cut up into apartments. There was this one family that I always got a bad vibe from stepdad. It was her mom's boyfriend, but they referred to him as her stepdad. I didn't like him, and he seemed to take an instant dislike to me. His stepdaughter, Sarah, was cool, so my siblings and I played with her, but I never went to that apartment, and I didn't let my siblings either. He proclaimed that he was a witch, the hippie nature-loving type. But being around him made me feel like I was in the presence of someone evil. While playing on the property one day, I found an old coin. I couldn't make out what it originally was, 
as it had been defaced by a pentagram on one side and a goat head on the other. When I picked it up, I felt nauseous and suddenly afraid, and somehow I knew it belonged to the stepdad. I went to the nearby bridge and tossed the coin into the creek below. I did this because in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, my favorite Washington Irving tale, it says that the supernatural has trouble crossing running water. Old stories about vampires say the same, so I went with that logic. Later that night, there was a really bad thunderstorm, and as we were heading to bed, there was a knocking at our door. It was Sarah and her mom, Sue. They were in tears and asked if they could crash with us. My parents put us to bed immediately, but I listened near the door. Apparently, the stepdad was going crazy. He was being abusive to Sarah and her mom, but tonight was worse. He was looking for his special coin, and it was missing. Sue then told my parents that he was not a witch, but a devil worshiper. While I know you guys are not believers, and that is perfectly your right, I am. No judgment on my part for that. The stepdad, though, he was into some bad juju magumbo, be it worship of the fallen one or negative energy manipulation. It was scary evil. I crept back to bed after hearing that. That night I had the scariest dream I have ever had. I was outside in the middle of the storm. I could feel the wind whipping around and the rain slashing me from all sides. Coming around the corner of the house was the stepdad. He looked manic. He was a very slim guy with a pointy beard and a goatee with long, scraggly hair. In this dream, there was a red gleam in his eyes, and I was terrified. He said he knew I had his coin, and he wanted it back or he would kill my whole family. I told him I'd thrown it in the creek, and it was gone. He screamed at me and made more threats. He said he knew what I was, but it didn't matter. I was going to die. I had no clue what he was talking about. I kept backing away as he came closer. Now here's the weird part. Out of nowhere over the wailing of the storm, we both jerked our heads at the sound we heard. It was the caw of a raven. Looking around, I saw nothing, but his eyes got huge and he was now afraid. Behind me, I felt a whoosh of air that was somehow different from the wind and heard a loud flapping. I looked up just in time to see a giant raven say four times the size of a normal one fly overhead. The stepdad took off running, trying to get away from the bird. I didn't see what happened, but woke up screaming. I told my parents about the dream and asked what it meant. They said I was probably afraid because I'd listened at the door. Moms and dads, they know their kids. The next morning, my dad went with Sue to gather some stuff and go to her mom. He told me that all the stepdad's stuff was gone, and he left a note saying it was over and he was leaving. Was it connected to my dream? I don't know. Around that time, though, my parents told me about being born with a call and what my great-grandma had said. I was curious and looked it up. I found what my great-grandma had said was dubious. I'd never felt like it any kind of gift. But then I thought about the strange occurrences with the Ravens. I found out also that in Italy, there was a belief that people born with a call were called Benedante, or good walkers. It was a belief that these people's souls would leave their bodies and take the form of a giant bird and fight witches at night. I swear I had no knowledge of this beforehand. I make no claim to have supernatural powers, and I'm not trying to make a story here. I know this sounds kooky, but there it is. The last experience I had with a raven was when my favorite aunt passed away. She was fighting terminal brain cancer and was losing. This woman was like an older sister to me. She made the world a better place by being in it. One morning, I woke up to a raven cawing outside my window. Aunt Deb had been in hospice, and we knew it was close. When I heard the caw, I knew she was gone, and I started to cry. Five minutes later, my mom told us she'd passed.
These were experiences I had no explanation of. Could be a weird dream, sure, but I never felt a dream like that, nor do I have any explanation for the other things. Oh, so much to unpack there. Holy man. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stephen. There's a lot there. Um, I thought maybe we should start with you explaining to those who may not know what a call is. Yeah. It's um, when you're born, if you're born like a human, you come out, you know, of a placenta of a birth sac, but there's a secondary sac around you that mostly just breaks apart. But sometimes it can be over the face of a baby. It's quite unusual. And so the belief is that the call, C-A-U-L, is this uh, sign that you are gifted spiritually. There we go. Yes. There um, you go. And I actually didn't know that until recently. I happened to see a lecture on the film, or rather about the film, The Conversation. And the character's name is Harry Call, C-A-U-L. And it was an error in the script transcription. Oh. But then the director saw it. And because that character is the surveillance specialist, so he knows things he shouldn't. It kind of was one of those fortuitous oh, mistakes. Interesting. That's fun. Yeah. So they kept it. But I, until maybe like three weeks ago, I had no idea that's oh, what a call okay, was. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I, I was totally clueless. Second thing in here, his dad ha having gifts. He said, dad, you know, when my dad was totally drunk, he could read people. Right. My suspicion is dad could read people anyway. Oh, he was just more open about it. Exactly. Right. 100%. Interesting. And third, he's said about not being believers. I take some exception to that. <laughs> um, I am 100% a believer in a bigger power. 100%. I don't practice religion currently, but trust me, spiritually, I am as plugged in to God as I ever was. 100%. I think the church in general has some things to certainly answer for. And I have a hard time kind of throwing my lot in with that. Because it's like any other human institution, it's flawed and, and that's totally fine. Sure. If, and, and if people do find peace there and comfort there and direction there and belonging there, you should be there then. And I will never, ever say, don't go to church or don't be part of this or don't be part of that. But for me and my journey, I have been there and I have kind of moved um, through that. And for me, my spirituality is just as much alive in some ways, if not more. Uh, than when I was uh, practicing that that way religiously. So I do have to say that. Sure, yeah. And, and I'm the same way. I mean, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I was right. baptized. I was confirmed. I've done all the stuff. Well, I wasn't married in the church, so I, I won't have that <gasps> particular sect. I know. So you're not really married? Well, according, according to, to the uh, Catholic Church, you're not really married? According to Fathers Lorian Dulong, who watched over me as a young boy, no. You pagan living in sin with your whore. <laughs> don't tell her i said that i'm a little scared of her we're totally gonna role play that later so thanks <laughs> Gross. live with that <laughs> one last thing and, and there's so much there steven again it's such a brilliant story it really is but the ravens thing yeah uh, weirdly there's a lot of the, a lot of this stuff today is casting back to a part of my life that i'd rather not dwell on but <laughs> there is this one story and a long time ago i, I used to date someone who, who uh well i used to date someone and they had someone in their family. Uh, let, let me tell the story this way. This person was out with a friend. I think it may even have been their partner at the time. And they lived in a very remote place. So there were not a lot of people around. The kind of place where you go for walks in the woods because that's mm -hmm. all there is to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I believe they were in a clearing and there was a water tower. Right. And all of a sudden, 
the water tower was covered in ravens. Hmm. And this person said, something's wrong with, with this person. Right. And I, I, again, I'm having to be very general, but like something's yeah. wrong with, we'll say something's wrong with, with, uh, Bob. Right. Something's wrong with Bob. They got home and that person had committed suicide. Oh boy. And somehow they knew the Ravens just by mm. seeing them. There was something about the presence of them. And so, uh, Stephen, it sounds very, very similar in terms of being a, I think the term is a psychopomp. Okay. This, uh, someone who ferries the souls of the departed to the afterlife. Right. And I think, I think Ravens serve that function in some cultures. I don't know for sure. I might be talking about my ass on that no, one. No, what they do, uh, I know in some First Nation beliefs, uh, Ravens are messengers from the dead. They're like a link between the living and the dead. Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. And um, they're also tricksters. Oh, interesting. So they could be very wise, but they could also mess with you uh, and, and definitely deserved honor. And yeah, so you, you're not off. Well, okay. Well, so yeah, again, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're making up a story at all. I, I truly No, don't. I thought it was a brilliant story. And I, I think you're someone who is dealing with your gifts the best way you know how. And uh, I'm not surprised at all that your dad had the same abilities. So I would be no. very interested to hear any other stories Stephen has to tell us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. I mean, for whatever it's worth, I encourage you to embrace that gift. Absolutely. Learn to manage it so it's not taking you over, but absolutely. So thanks again to Stephen and to all the listeners who wrote in. We truly love reading your stories. And if you've got a story to tell, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best way to do it. Send us an email. Tell us all about it. Mm -hmm. And you can also call the ghost line, but we will talk about that in the C segment. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with patron shoutouts. Welcome back. Thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're happy to say Luke is feeling much better. Yes. And thanks to all our listeners who sent him well wishes. I know a lot of people reached out and uh, I know that meant a lot to Luke. So mm -hmm. thank you all very much. We, we have such great listeners. We do. We really do. All right. So now it's time for our patron shout outs. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Luisa Seya Vasquez, R.Y., Evan Lawson, Maureen Betita, Victoria Brenneke, and Christina Peek. This time around, we also had a one-time donation via PayPal from the artist Cheryl Baker. Thank you very much, Cheryl, and if you want to find more of her work, head on over to CherylBakerArt.com. Thank you so, so much for your support, guys. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. You guys pay our salaries and it uh, just provides us some stability in this very, very uncertain time and allows us to do more stuff with the show and play around and, and try new things. The, the new episode art that we have up on social media, uh, we couldn't have that without you guys. So thank you so, so much from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, again, you, you keep the show going and for that, we can't possibly thank you enough. Mm -hmm. 
If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have all kinds of cool stuff for our patrons. You get access to our monthly Cabin Fever episode, which is me and Ian shooting the breeze, talking about all the stuff that doesn't fit into the main show anymore. You also get access to our monthly live show, which is a video chat with me, Ian, and usually the rest of the staff, Sarah, Anthony, Luke, whoever can make it is there. And last time we had a ton of fun. It was you, me, and Sarah talking about, I think it was fast food and yeah. <laughs> slasher books. It was, a, it was a whole thing. And of course, this will air just after our live chat with Paul Bestel from Mysteries and Monsters, Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts, and JC and Kiki of the Mission Spooky Podcast. Mm-hmm. We will have been on uh, for all our patrons from the $1 level and up, talking about the movies that traumatized us as kids and our favorite go-to bad movies. And uh, I, again, hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure it's a good time. Or, you know, we all ended up in a brawl and, you know, we're all friends <laughs> off now. Who knows? I'm, I'm sure not, but maybe. Anything's possible. True. Yes. But you also get all kinds of stuff, which you can find by heading over to patreon.com slash guys. If you want to support the show, but you're not feeling the whole Patreon thing, you can make a one-time donation via PayPal, and you can do that by going to either paypal.me slash ghoststoryguys or by sending the transfer to our email address. As I mentioned, if you've got a story to tell, the best way to send it is via email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys, and we have a pretty banging Instagram account at instagram.com slash theghoststoryguys. But if you have a story to tell, the best way to do it is via email, or you can call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. That's right. If you've got a comment, question, or story for the show and you don't feel like typing, you can always call us at one 888 That's the number for the ghost line. And you can leave your story, comment, question as one or a series of voicemails. Call back as much as you like. I think the timeout is three minutes. And we play those calls every other week on our mini shows, which the last one was 54 friggin' minutes. So it was, wasn't that very was mini. no mini show, yeah. Oh, not a, no, we're not doing that again. No. It was fun, but not again. No, it was a long time. <laughs> It must have been a long time to edit too. It was a long edit. Yes. But yeah, so we'll play those calls there. And if you don't feel like calling, you don't feel like talking, you can always text us at 925-553-4789. And you can text us uh, pictures, links, whatever you like. And if it's something that we can't share on the mini shows, we'll absolutely do that. Big thanks too to Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle and to Lauren Hutchison who sent us one as well. And you can hear that one on the mini shows. Thanks again to our musical guests, Hexagram, for letting us debut their track, One Good Scare. That is a brand new piece. I'm really, really excited about it. If you want to hear that again, you can find that anywhere you stream your music. Hexagram also does our stories theme, The Future Belongs to Them Now, which is only available to our patrons as an exclusive ringtone at the $10 level. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by going to soundcloud.com slash therealpizzantamusic. All other music and sound effects on this show come courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for Podsafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com. Check them out. I guess that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with our mini show, and until then, 
Into the darkness we go. whole lot more oh fuck his head butted my pop filter <laughs> not that i've been thinking about it no no me no, either but that'd uh, be weird there's a, there's a business plan here let's talk <laughs> i can't think of another movie about greasers fighting i was gonna come up with a reference but no fuck i can't think of one <laughs> ta-da well i just fixed your story i don't know if fixed is the right word <laughs> at least it wasn't in public this time Woo! <laughs> this time yeah my my parole officer says i'm on my third strike that's <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, hold up. What? Don't I interrupt just... the artist. Oh, I'm sorry. God I don't... damn it. Your flow of genius. <laughs> Is that you peeing? Don't look me in the eyes. <laughs> I try not to anyways. Uh, okay, you know, you're good now. I wasn't recording. Oh, well, I'm glad you caught it then, then. Yes, see? Exactly. You're welcome. <laughs> Charges still pending. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not... Legally, I'm not allowed to comment. I'm very musical. You really are. It's a gift.